Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits and improve your business and lifestyle. We're your hosts, Madalena sanchez Ampalo and Veronica de Michelis. Like you, we are professional translators striving to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 83. Today's episode is one you may not be expecting, or maybe if you've been around long enough, you understand how it aligns with what we discuss here on Smart Habits for Translators. Saying no and doing it with confidence can be difficult in any area of life, but especially in business. Saying no is essential to running your business with less stress and more time for what you really want to work on with the clients you really want to work with. Today, we have the pleasure of discussing smart habits for saying no with two guests we know that you'll recognize. We'd like to welcome Dagmar and Judy Jenner to the podcast. Dagmar is a German, Spanish, English, and French translator and conference interpreter based in Vienna. She grew up in Austria and Mexico City and has an advanced degree in French from the University of Salzburg and a master's degree in conference interpreting from the University of Vienna. She runs the European side of Twin Translations and is the past president of the Austrian Interpreters and Translators Association, Universitas Austria. Dagmar is passionate about literature, classical music, and chess. And Judy is a Spanish and German business and legal translator and a federally certified Spanish court interpreter and conference interpreter. She has an MBA in marketing from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, a master's degree in conference interpreting from York University in Canada, and she runs her boutique translation and interpreting business, Twin Translations, with her twin sister, Dagmar. She was born in Austria and grew up in Mexico City. She's a former in-house translation department manager, and Judy writes the blog Translation Times and the Entrepreneurial Linguist column for the ATA Chronicle. She also serves as one of the ATA spokespersons and teaches interpretation at the University of California, San Diego, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and at New York University as of fall 2023. And Judy is a frequent speaker at TNI conferences around the world, mostly online these days. Judy flies a lot for her interpreting assignments, and one of her special talents is memorizing airport codes. Dagmar and Judy are the authors of The Entrepreneurial Linguist, The Business School Approach to Freelance Translation. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. It's lovely to be here. Yes, thanks for joining us, Judy and Doggy. I can't believe it took us so long to get you on the podcast. I think if anyone follows you online or interacts with you online or have read maybe some some of the things you've written, it's very clear that you are so empowering and uplifting uh, for many people in the translation and interpreting community. The book that you wrote together, I personally, when I teach classes to my students, I recommend, it's like recommended reading to everyone starting professions. So I think you always have so much to share and I'm sure that'll be like the case today. So before we dive into the topic of the power of saying no, we'd love for you to tell our listeners and colleagues about yourself and your businesses, maybe how it all started and how it evolved over time, anything else you'd like to share. I think it all started with Daggies. I think Daggies should go first. And just in case somebody missed this, we are twins, but I am the older twin. This is Judy. I'm 10 minutes older, but I'm going to defer to my younger sister. <laughs> Sounds good. So I'm the, the younger twin and the one with the difficult name. So it's Dagmar, which is a fairly common name in some parts of Europe, but I'm fairly um, unusual elsewhere. That's why um, I go by Daggy in the U.S. and that's what most of my friends and family uh, call me as well. 
So as you mentioned, we were born in, in Austria and raised in, in Mexico City. We also spent some time in the U.S. as, as teenagers. Yeah, I'm based in, in Vienna, Austria now, which is supposedly the most livable city in the world, but also apparently the least welcoming city for expats, according to a recent study. So that shouldn't stop anybody, anybody from visiting. So I started this business 20 years ago. Time flies. I just recently celebrated the 20th anniversary of the European side of our business, and Judy joined me a few years later. I started out as a translator and a copywriter and editor, and I added interpreting about 10 years later after I got my master's degree in conference interpreting. And later, I also added workshops on German orthography. I've taught at the University of Vienna. And yeah, it's been uh, 20 exciting years. There have been ups and downs. We and I surely made a few stupid mistakes at the beginning. That's one of the reasons why we wrote this book, to um, help others um, avoid them. It has not wasn't always smooth uh, sailing. There have been ups and downs. There's been the financial crisis. There was COVID. But overall, it's been a, a good uh, two two decades. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that, except, uh, yeah, that's that's what happened. <laughs> I'm based here in Las Vegas, Nevada, which, you know, it doesn't win a lot of awards for most livable cities in the world, although I do have a soft spot for my <laughs> adopted hometown. There's more to it than, than you initially would think. There's a lot of hiking, for instance. So, yeah, my, my um, evolution in the profession was very similar to Daggy's. Starting out as a translator, I even did some translating in college, paid translating in college. And then added interpreting much, much later. I always thought that was impossible. But here we are. I thought it was magic and I would never be able to do it. And I'm glad I did. I think it, it gives my work days sort of interesting variety of being both a translator and an interpreter. Really cool. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. So tell us about your book, The Entrepreneurial Linguist. What led you to write this book together? And what do you think is the biggest takeaway for our colleagues when it comes to how they approach their freelance business? As Daggy said, we made plenty of very avoidable and stu stupid mistakes early on because, you know, I'll be honest, we didn't know what we were doing in the beginning, and most people don't, you know, and I certainly am happy to share that. I think sometimes there's this ridiculous pressure on newcomers that they should be doing everything right from the get-go when they have no knowledge and nobody's trained them on how to do things. So we made some stupid mistakes and we thought, well, it was painful. Why don't we share a better way to do it to avoid these painful experiences repeating themselves for our colleagues? Basically, we just wanted to share what we would we uh, knew. And all this, you know, we also blame our dear friend Corinne McKay, uh, the past president of the ATA. We went snowshoeing and together, she and I in Colorado, and I think it was about 2009 or so. And she kept on saying, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I kept on saying, no, I will not. We, we will not. And then, of course, a year later, we did. So it's partially Corinne McKay's <laughs> fault. And, <laughs> and I think the biggest takeaway is that you have to run this small business as well a business because that's what it is. We were also tired of hearing colleagues say, I'm just a translator and just an interpreter. We wanted people to erase that word from the vocabulary. 
and start thinking like a small business, which is something very simple, but that hadn't really been talked about that much until then, because the book is pretty old. It came out in 2010. And as Veronica said, it's required reading and suggested reading at many universities around the world. And nothing makes us happier than people coming up to us at conferences and saying, this book worked, this book helped me, this book it was something that was useful to us. That is a very empowering thing. That's exactly what we wanted. We didn't think it would sell that many copies or get such great reviews, and we're very pleased. And no, we're not thinking about doing a second <laughs> edition. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. This is no too way. much work. Yeah. No way. <laughs> you knew that was going to be a follow-up <laughs> question, right? True. Right. Actually, your book is How I Met You at an ATA conference. It's exactly how I met both of you. You were there. I think I started in 2006, so I probably read your book soon after it came out. And then I saw you maybe in Orlando or something, I think it was. That's, there was a, a yeah, long that was 2009, ago. I think, Orlando or 2008 or something like that, right? Something like that. Yeah, one of those years it was. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. So what values led you to to become both translators and interpreters? And how do these values show up in your business today? I'm not prepared for that question. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Was it on the I mean, list? Values. <laughs> Whoops. I, sorry, I didn't put any thought into this one. But uh, just in, in general, I, I, I think it's good to diversify, to have different language services that you offer. We, again, both started as translators. And I always thought that interpreting would be super interesting and it would be a way to get out in the community a bit more. Because let's face it, translation per se is a relatively solitary profession. And I, I do like the the interaction that you get with actual humans when you do interpreting, at least uh, pre-COVID interpreting. Yeah. So are you mostly doing on, uh, remote interpreting now since COVID or is it still a mix of both? It's still a mix. There, there are some things that just haven't come back as strongly in person. A lot of conferences are still online. Most of the court things have come back in, in person. It depends a little bit on the court and the jurisdiction, on how comfortable the courts are with technology. So I think it's probably about 50-50. But before the pandemic, I did pretty much no remote interpreting. I did maybe something every three months, and that was considered a pioneer because there were some that we didn't even have decent software back then. So it it has it has shifted. Judy is a court interpreter, and I'm not, which means that she interprets much more than than I do. And I do conference interpreting only, and it's mostly back to in-person interpreting. And I'm getting ready to to work at a side event at an at a conference at the United Nations in two weeks from today. Exciting stuff. Speaking of that, and this is completely off topic, but didn't I see a photo of you, Daggy, with when he was still Prince Charles? Didn't you interpret for I, I him? Did. <laughs> Exciting, right? yeah. Okay. I thought so. But it was probably the easiest interpreting assignment assignment I ever did because everybody ended up speaking English only. So I was just standing there, you know, enjoying the royal presence and, you know, looking pretty for the cameras. It was great. <laughs> Good <laughs> photo op. Yes. <laughs> you can take it. Yeah. So we talk about smart habits here on this podcast, and we wanted to ask you what smart habits have been crucial in your careers so far? Well, I'm not sure it's a habit, but the, probably the the smartest thing I ever did when I started this business was to charge high prices. I agree. Second. <laughs> and I've stuck to that. And I think it's the best thing, the best decision ever. 
probably in the minority of people who start that way. That's good. And also because, again, as we as we say, we didn't really know what we're doing, but we did some math and figured, well, how much do we need to bill? How much do we need to charge to make a decent living? And we came up with some ballpark figures, and that's what we started billing. And lo and behold, clients were happy to pay it. And afterwards, you started finding out that that is considered to be very much on the high end, but we we never really thought about dropping it. We'd never that never occurred to us, and then we just stuck to it. Yeah, it was good. Like it, it allowed me to make a halfway decent living right from the start, which gave me self confidence, you know. And it really it was a a good process, you know. A good. Um, uh, I was happy about how things evolved. I agree. I think this is the best thing you did because it was mainly your idea. I'm not going to be the twin to say that was my idea. It was totally Daggy's idea. And just to add to that, in terms of habits, it's also perhaps not a habit, but it's a mindset that you have to take some sort of risk. You have to be willing to assume some level of risk if you're going to run a small business. You can't be successful and have a risk-free existence. So you're going to have to tell customers some stuff that maybe they don't like to hear you're going to have to say no and you're going to have to be prepared to live with whatever the consequence of that is. If you don't ever want to take any risk, that's perfectly fine. But I don't know how you can really be an entrepreneur and eliminate risk. No risk taking means you're an employee, although there's also risk that they may lay you off. right? But So just get, get comfortable with the idea of some sort of risk and that it's not always going to go your way. You can't always get what you want, as the song says. <laughs> There's another habit that I uh, developed, which was uh, to rely on my gut feeling and, and on my intuition, you know, both in my professional life and in my personal life. And in some cases, I will never know, but I do believe that my gut feeling and my intuition intuition was mostly, mostly right. You know, and intuition comes with experience, you know, the more experience you have, the better your gut feeling will be. And I recommend relying on that. In case of doubt, just trust your instincts. Good advice. Highly scientific, this gut feeling, oh, you know? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Works. It works. It works. Totally. Yes. It is very good. Yeah, I love it. And really the whole premise of running a business is to be comfortable in a highly kind of uncertain situations unfolding all the time. And if, if you're not comfortable feeling that kind of discomfort all the time and taking risks, as you say, maybe running your business isn't for you. Yeah, but that's a learning curve. So kind of to flip the question upside down, are there any habits that you maybe had earlier in your career that you no longer practice and why? Yeah, well, I used to take one afternoon per week off in the early days. That's right. I remember, remember? that. Yes. <laughs> it was usually a Monday, Monday afternoon and I used to do stuff, you know, we used to go to museums. A lot of them are open on Mondays for some reason. And I was perfectly happy with that routine. And for some reason, I got out of, got out of that habit and I, I'm planning on somehow getting back on that horse because it really helped. That's a really good point. You know, I, I love what I do and I think it shows. And it, of course, it is work, but sometimes it doesn't feel like work. So I used to have that relatively bad habit of working on the weekends as well, even if just an hour here or there. And my husband would say, how about you don't open the computer today? And I would say, how about I just do like one quick hour of this? And in a as time goes by, I realized I need some time completely away from the computer 
it never really weighed on me. I enjoyed it, but I do think it's smarter to stay completely off the computer and do no work at least one full day on the weekend, right? I don't mind checking email a little bit, but I think that's been healthy for me to try to say really, it's either all day Saturday or all day Sunday. And um, it, it can wait. If it's urgent, of course, I'll do it. But I think that's a good habit that I need to stick to. You two are known for presenting about being able to say no in different situations and circumstances. Why do you think it's important for translators and interpreters to be able to say no? Well, more more generally speaking, I think it's important for everybody, especially women, to be able to say no. We've been giving this some thought. And I think as women, especially women of our generation, we've been conditioned to be mostly nice and humble and agreeable and to not cause any trouble and just to be cute and to and ultimately to say yes to, to everything, right? And I think that also reflects on, how, on, on our professional lives. If you say um, yes to everything all the time, well, people will just walk all over you. And I think it's an important element of for self self-assertiveness, for defining who you are, for setting boundaries. Just saying no is, is is crucial. And I think we should all embrace that because no is not a positive, it's not a negative word. It's not an insult. It's just the opposite of of yes. Yeah, try it. It might become your uh, your fav- favorite word. Just say no. If it, you know, if, it, if saying yes would make you unhappy, well, try saying no. And the beautiful thing is freelancers or self-employed small business owners is that you absolutely have the power to say no. When you're employed in a company and they tell you, go do this and you don't want to go do it, you still have to go do it. I I speak from experience. I worked in-house for many years, but as a freelancer, let's keep the free in that. You don't have to say yes to things you don't want to do that are perhaps not at the right price point for you, not the right fee schedule. If it's a project that you don't think you can deliver, you should absolutely say no. And uh, just if you don't want to do it for whatever reason it is, you can say no and offer alternatives. And I do that all the time. I just recently had a dear client of mine who said, hey, can you take the 10 p.m. flight back to Vegas from this assignment? I said, I'd prefer to take the morning flight. I don't want to get home to Vegas at one o'clock in the morning if I can avoid it. I prefer to take the morning flight. And she said, oh, absolutely, no problem, right? But I mean, oftentimes you feel just because the question is being asked that there isn't possible to say no, but it was a reasonable conversation. And she said, yeah, absolutely, yeah, whatever works for you, right? So I think I've reached the age too that I say, I don't want to travel. I don't want to take that super late flight if I can if I can avoid it. If if it's all the same to the client, I'll, I'll take their, a better flight that allows me my, my beauty sleep in my morning yoga. <laughs> I think I've reached a point in my life where I, I will only say yes if I really want to do something, right? I mean, I wouldn't be here on this podcast unless I really wanted to, you know, and I wouldn't have said yes out of courtesy or because it's expected of me. I'm here because I want to. And if I hadn't wanted to be here, I would have said, sorry, it doesn't work for me. Or no, scratch a sorry. I would have said it doesn't work for me. You know, there's no need to be sorry or justify yourself. 
course, there's some nuance when you're dealing with clients, right? I mean, of course, the reason we are here is because we have clients and we've made them happy. And that oftentimes has perhaps involved some things we'd rather not be doing, like working in the weekends. But if you get paid adequately for it, that's that's a different story, right? So we're, we're not saying that you should, uh, if somebody offers you let's say a big amount of money to do something that you're you're kind of on the fence about that you should probably go ahead and do it right but if you have a, if it's either that or you cancel a wedding that you have planned you should probably go to the wedding right so there, there there's some nuance right I and mean, of course cl- clients first right we wouldn't be here either if we hadn't said yes to what our clients wanted us to do, but we've been able to negotiate it and we have been able to say yes to the things that we think are reasonable. And I feel like this lesson comes for most of us after having said yes too long to too many people when you realize I'm doing more things that other people want me to do than things that I want to be doing for me or for my business or something. So it's especially important to remember that you don't always have to say yes, or you could say no, but, right? You could offer an alternative like Judy mentioned. And actually, that's one of our questions for you. What are some key reasons to say no and what are some strategies to do it with grace? I really liked what Daggy said about not saying you're sorry necessarily. Unless you've done something wrong, which chances are you haven't if you're just saying no, that something doesn't work for you. But I think a lot of people struggle with saying no and then feeling badly about what the other person will think of them or feel about it. And that's not really necessarily our problem, but it's an internal struggle that people face. I think it's also maybe something related to our conditioning as as women. I think we, uh, we've we been kind of conditioned to to be like everybody's darling, to be liked by everybody. And we, are, we, yeah, mm-hmm. and we feel afraid that if we say no, people will stop liking mm, or us. Or stop calling us for work, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily the case, you know. I think um, in some situations, people will respect you for, for saying for saying no. And in other cases, it's a professional thing to do, to not accept an impossible deadline or a translation in a field that you don't specialize in. And ultimately, like generally speaking, also in my personal life, if it comes down to me being happy and saying no, or another person being happy, which involves me saying yes, I would pick myself any day. And my happiness is always going to be more important than somebody else's. You know, that's what it comes down to. For me, that's mostly my my personal life. You know, in the professional life, you sometimes have to, you know, make some some concessions for sure. I like saying no to things that really impact the negatively the bottom line of my business. And you were Back to one of our favorite topics, which is your fee schedule, your pricing or your structure, whatever you want to call it. This happens a lot on the interpreting side, right? That a client will come, especially for conference interpreting. There's a lot of big agencies involved, uh, international agencies that they are not very good at um, that trying to pay um, interpreters what they're worth. And I, I'm the queen of trying to push the boundaries there a little bit because I think we need to. I think we need to say, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work for, for this amount. And um, here is my fee schedule. So I, I did this recently with a very big agency, and they're lovely. I have absolutely no hard feelings. This is, it's not personal. It's just business. They came and said, uh, "What's your fee schedule?" I said, "It's this." And they said, "We pay X." I said, "Well, thank you, but that that's not going to work." Out, have a lovely day, right? And you know that that was the end of that conversation. They weren't even closed. And I said, "Oh well, thank you." And it was all very nice, very cordial. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, right before the event started, they came back and they said, uh, "Yeah, we had somebody cancel. Can you do it?" 
But I said, at my regular fee schedule. And I said, oh, of course. And I said, okay. <laughs> so we, 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 so it, clearly it was possible. They were just trying to get somebody to do it for less, which I wasn't willing to do it because that's not my fee schedule. And I was perfectly happy not getting that business because I knew there'd be, well, I didn't know. I was certainly hoping that something better would come along. And if it didn't, at this point in my career, I'm perfectly happy going for a walk with the dogs or going to dinner with my husband. I don't need to fill every single minute. We pay X, but I charge Y. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's another point. I mean, one thing that a lot of people think if they say no, they're going to miss out on an opportunity or future work with a client. So what do you think about this way of thinking and how can we flip the script on this, especially for people who maybe aren't as established as the two of you? Because I think, you know, for those of us here talking, it makes complete sense that you get to a point where you can say no much more comfortably too. But there are people who are maybe earlier in their career who feel like I can't say no, I should, I should take this for either the experience or the money or whatever. So what do you think is, is a way to maybe flip the script on that a little bit? Yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, I understand that that people might feel compelled to say yes at the beginning, and so did I. <laughs> that's why we're talking about this in, in the first place, right? Because we were wondering why that happened. But uh, ultimately, I think we need to change the mindset. You know, saying no is not per se a bad thing and it doesn't necessarily mean that it would will result in something bad you might miss out on a lousy experience on a lousy project but hey you might gain another one so i would look at the glass as half uh, full instead of half empty very true and it's not like we have all the answers as we've said it's now we've made plenty of mistakes <laughs> which is what we've learned from but you can't control the future you don't know what's going to happen you don't know how your client's going to react so the only thing you can ultimately control is your response and uh, the way you handle yourself and to do it in a professional polite way and to have a Vegas analogy, you just let the chips fall where they may. Sure, it is possible <laughs> that you may miss out on a great opportunity. Maybe this is, turns out this client wanted to pay you half of what you bill, but next time they're going to pay you double. Probably not, but maybe it's a possibility. You just don't know what you'll miss out on. You just have to learn to live with the consequences of your decisions, right? And what I tell people is ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that could happen is I don't get this project that I didn't really want and that I don't get more of these projects that I don't want. Oftentimes that's that's the worst, that, at least the only thing that I can come up with. So then I, I say to myself, you know, I can I can live with that. But you, perhaps, perhaps you would have missed out on something. But you just, in business and in life, I think you just have to accept what you've done and, and move on and trust that this is the right decision that you made with the information that you had. Here's an example. The other day, somebody asked me for like a last minute interpreting gig. It was like... It was going to happen on the very next day. It was medical interpreting, which I don't do a lot of. And it was very much at the last minute, no preparation. They were willing to pay, I think, even triple. my. They, they were going to triple my rate. But I had a terrible feeling. I felt I was setting myself up for failure. I said no, and I might have lost you know, a bunch of money. I could have used the money at the time. Business business was slow, but I also clearly felt that I was going to ruin my reputation if I had accepted that job. So I said no. And the next day I got lucky. A regular client sent a lovely long translation, which was really well paid. And it was not stressful at all. And I worked in my field of specialization and it all, it all worked out in the end. 
That is, yeah, for sure. And when in doubt, I think, well, you two obviously know that already, but you know, when you feel like you're going to miss out on something, I think it's also good to ask yourself, will it matter? Like a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, would it really matter that I missed that opportunity just because I said no? But, you know, it's something that is important to me professionally. So are there any specific ways to practice saying no that you think might make it easier going forward? Well, the other day I was at a, at a concert of classical music here in Vienna. Before the concert started, my friend and I we wanted our picture taken. <laughs> and we asked this lady who was standing there, hey, excuse me, would you, would you take a picture of us? And you, you know what she said? No. She said no. And she turned around and walked away. And I was like both impressed and, and annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But if you want to yeah. start practicing saying no, well, you might start with everyday stuff like that. But I did think she was pretty rude. You know, she could have said, you know, I don't like smartphones. I've never taken a picture or something, you know, or I'm on my way to the restroom. I don't know something. I agree. But you could start practicing also in your personal life and being nuanced about it, right? Just say, no, I won't be able to do this, but how about X instead, right? Which offering some alternatives, I think, is a, is a good way to do it. You know, sometimes you, you, of course, you say yes to help out other people. But if it's about business, you should really make sure that whatever you're saying yes to is something that is good for your for your bottom line. So, you know, I've, uh, I try to offer alternatives. I think that's a good way to do it. You can tell the client, for example, no, I'm, I don't, I cannot meet the deadline, but I can meet the deadline two days from today. Would that suit you? 90% of the time, in my experience at least, people will say yes, or they'll send you a really complicated PDF document and say, can you convert this? We'll say yes, but it's going to cost you X. The alternative is you do it yourself and it will be cheaper. And lo and behold, uh, an hour later, the Word document materializes, right? And everybody's happier because, you know, converting these documents isn't my my core expertise. I We actually have somebody who helps us with this. But, you know, if they want to do it, they save some money. It saved me some aggravation. Everybody's happy, right? So the alternatives, I think, are good instead of just saying no, period. You know, we're not saying you should li- limit your answer to no. You can make it a more complete sentence. <laughs> And I think you should could also start practicing saying no with new clients, clients who won't necessarily know that you usually say yes to everything. So they won't be too surprised, right? Because they don't know you. If you start doing that with clients with whom you've worked for a very long time and who are used to your you're saying yes to everything, well, they might be a little baffled, you know, by your sudden change of heart, you know. That's true. Trying new new strategies is usually best when you do it with new clients who haven't worked with you before. And also trying new pricing approaches with new clients is great. You know, it's uh, oftentimes really hard to change your pricing structure with with existing clients beyond the normal inflation adjustment that you should do every year. So try try new strategies with new clients because that is literally almost risk-free because you don't have the client anyway, right? So if you, I've tried that. Sometimes I've just said, let me let me try increasing this to an even more even a, a better fee schedule and see what they say. Let's let's see what's possible. Let's do this as an experiment and pricing. And then if I don't get this client or we don't get this client, then well we're no worse off than we were before. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You just have to try it. Right. You won't know unless you try it. <laughs> 
Yeah, great. So you've shared so many examples, but are there any other ways you can think of when we can say no that to something that will allow us to say yes to something else? Well, I think mostly it's about your time, right? The only resource we have is our time. What we sell is our time and we can only sell it once. And I'm not going to get too macroeconomics here, but there's a, there's a value of your time, right? There's an opportunity cost. Every time you say yes to something, you're preventing yourself from doing something else with that time. And as for this example, we're here with you lovely ladies because we really respect you. We admire what you do. We think your podcast is amazing. And we said yes to it. And we said no to a bunch of other things, which in my case is an interpreting assignment this morning, right? Because I wanted to. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good thing, right? But you just have to ask yourself, is whatever I'm giving up and what I'm saying yes to, is is it worth the other things that could potentially come along, which of course you don't have a crystal ball, so you don't know. You have to, this does involve some guessing, right? So I think that would be my my advice to think about in terms of opportunity cost and uh, what are you willing to do with your time? Because life is short and business cycles are short, short and we have limited time that we have. I have gained some time now, now that I'm no longer the president of my um, Austrian association. So that's that, that's a good thing, but I do not plan to use that time for more volunteer work, but um, other things like studying chess theory. You can take Mondays off again. I can. <laughs> Why yeah, not? That's <laughs> right. Play chess. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's time to get back on that horse. Yeah, play chess. You did that in the beginning. I thought that was so admirable. And then you just got, got out of the habit, like you said. Yeah, time to get back to it, baby. So what are some ways that saying no has actually paid off in your experiences or in your careers? I know that earlier Dagmar gave us a good a story, something that happened recently, but can you think of something else maybe in the past that happened and it really paid off for you? I can think of one experience where I had to cut ties with a with a, a client. Actually, they were a colleague and it wasn't a good working relationship. It was early in my interpreting career. This colleague would send me some of his clients, but he wanted me to pay him an hourly fee for each hour that I was working, which basically meant that I was actually his client, but he wasn't doing the billing. I still had to invoice his client. So, it, and this was a very a strange it was referral a, fee. It was a very strange, <laughs> very awkward setup that Daggy goes back to his gut feeling. My gut feeling was this isn't a good setup. You don't need an MBA in business to know that this is anymore, that this isn't a good setup. But I thought, well, I have so much to learn, and I really didn't know that much about interpreting. I thought I'd. I'd give it a shot. I had a bad feeling about it. And it worked okay for a few months, but then it just, it, it, we ran into all sort of issues of keeping track of who was, uh, who was, who was to pay whom. And then his clients weren't paying me and it just, it wasn't working out. And, and the, after a while I said, I'm sorry, I really appreciate the opportunity, but this, this doesn't work for me. I'm putting too much work into this for, for the amount of money that I'm making. And I, I cannot do this anymore. And you know, they, the, the, the no hard feelings, but it, it was too much time that I was spending on it. So we, we parted ways and we've been, you know, friendly ever since, but that was definitely the right decision. And I should have probably done it sooner than I did because it did cause me quite some aggravation that I could have easily avoided by having said no to the setup in the beginning, but I didn't know any better. And just like everybody else, I make mistakes and I 
I have re- regrets some, you know, but I also learned uh, that, yeah, I should have said no in the first place it would have been better. And in the example that I mentioned earlier, I think uh, saying no saved me from ruining my reputation. I will never know, but I'm positive that I would have set myself up for failure at that during that interpreting assignment. And even if they pay double or triple, if I still don't do a good job and, you know, the the audience, the people who listen to my interpreting, they will never know that I got hired at short notice. They will just say, oh, this lady is terrible. She doesn't know what she's talking about, you know, and they might catch my name and then my reputation will be ruined. And as an interpreter, that's the most important thing you have. That's true, because you're very visible. Yeah. And for something medical. Exactly. And if you can protect it by saying yeah, no. That's a high stakes yeah. situation with medical stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. The saying no is a protection mechanism, not only for your bottom line, but also for your reputation. And ultimately, if your reputation is ruined, then you definitely won't make any more money, but you made X amount for this interpreting assignment. But it was it's short sighted, right, to say yes to that. So I really love that example because I've seen the flip side. I've, I've showed up to interpret at conferences where I usually have very defined booth partners. I only work with certain certain booth partners whom I know very well. We work very well together. But once in a while, Things happen and you have to be flexible. You get somebody you've never met before. And and I have showed up. And this other person, several times it's happened to me, said, well, I don't really do simultaneous interpreting. And I'd say, okay, so what what are you doing here? <laughs> and they say, oh, So well. is this all on me? <laughs> <laughs> they say, well, you know, this, this person called me and I felt really bad. So I said, yes. And this per- sometimes this person said to me, what do you think? And I'd say, well... If you don't know how to do it, it's probably better to say no, right? Of course, no, not, now what, right? Now we're in the booth and the showtime, right? <laughs> like that, we'll, we'll figure it out, right? But this, this isn't good, right? And if you have a, a less support, supportive booth partner, that booth partner is going to say something to the client or is going to be unwilling to cover for you. And this happened to me several times. And I I felt like this is a would have been a very easy solution, especially I think it's also unprofessional to say yes to something that you don't that you know that you don't know how to do. If somebody asked me, can you come and perform magic tricks at a birthday party? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. You could do it. (laughs) Trust me, I cannot keep a straight face. I... No, I, I cannot do magic tricks at a birthday party because that's not—I don't know—or or medical interpreting. Somebody tells me, calls me to do some medical interpreting. I'm not a medical interpreter. That's—it's—it's it's unethical. It's unprofessional. I think it's irresponsible. And then not every situation is that way. But I think you do a, at some point have an ethical responsibility to evaluate what you can do and what you cannot do, and you need to say no if you know that you can't do it. Saying yes is unethical. I agree. And it's also protection of your own sanity. Can you imagine how stressed you would be sitting there and I don't know what's going on or, you know, I didn't get prepared for this. I don't have the, you know, information I need. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah. So do you two have any final tips you want to share with our listeners on the power of saying no? Yeah, just just give it a try. You might even Mm -hmm. like it. It doesn't have to be your default answer to everything, but just try it, you know, And in case of doubt, Say no once in a while and and see what happens. You know, my guess is that the world won't come to an end and people will still like you and they will still respect you and you will have set boundaries. You will have defined your personality. You will be self-assertive and you will feel good about yourself. I, I highly recommend it. 
That's true, because my, I'll be honest, my usual default is yes. I tend to say yes to everything. So this has been quite a quite a process for me to to not do that. Judy, do you want to go skydiving? Sure. <laughs> Judy, do you want to go up? Get up at six o'clock in the morning and drive me to the airport? Sure. Judy, do you want to go night night snorkeling <laughs> with manta rays? Sure. I mean, I, my, that's very much my first instinct, mostly in my personal life. So to, to say no in a professional situation has been a challenge for me. Just I, I I don't want our listeners to know that. It's not like this is easy for, it is a challenge, right? You just have to practice it and say it more often. And I've, I have I used to keep track. Oh, today I said no of, to a few things and I was all proud of myself. And a lot of these involve uh, volunteer things. For example, an ATA division recently asked me to write an article and I said, I'm sorry, I don't have the bandwidth, but here are 15 articles that I've written. You can take any of these. Just make sure you give me credit. That way I said no, because I didn't really have the extra few hours to write the article they're asking me for. But I said, here's here's some articles that you're welcome to have, because I can't say yes to everything. But I did say yes to skydiving. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And my first instinct is also to always say yes. And it has been personally and professionally, and it, you know, you get yourself into a bind or you've like double booked yourself or have you done something where you're like, why? I didn't want to do this. Why did I say yes to this? And I heard this piece of advice the other day, which I've heard before, but it was a good reminder, which is just before you say yes, just pause. I'll get back to you. Let me check my schedule or I'm not sure if that'll work. Let me follow up with you. Just give yourself a little bit of time and then you have the ability to think and say no, even if it's not in the moment. Because a lot of people, it's that first moment where they just struggle with it. But if you give yourself some space. Excellent strategy. Just buy yourself some time and call people back, you know, and think about it. And then you can always say no or yes, or maybe. I like that. <laughs> Whatever works for you. So finally, if you could give your past selves a piece of advice, what would it be? Oof, okay. where do we start? <laughs> 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 well, I think I would, I would cut my younger self some slack. I used to be like really very much of a perfectionist and I think I we still I still am given given our our jobs but I used to be like mortified if I found like a like a missing comma in a translation I had already sent to a client I used to lose sleep over such things you know and while while it's certainly not great it's not the end of the world right <laughs> so I would cut myself some some slack and there is this expectation of being perfect, of always doing everything perfect. I'll, I think it's also some female conditioning. And I think we should, should get over that. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely idea, doing everything perfect all the time, but it's just not realistic. Nobody's perfect or will ever be. I agree. That's a good one. And again, there's so many things, but maybe just to try to let go of the fear a little bit. I remember having all this fear, which is normal and it keeps you motivated and it keeps you sort of hungry, but it's all, it can also be debilitating. I remember in the early years, I, there was some, all this worry that I had about things that I have no control over. And now that I'm older, I just tell myself there's I can only control my side. And if this client decides to, you know, go with somebody else, that's, there's nothing I can do about it. So worrying less about things that you that I can't control, I think would have saved me some unnecessary worry. But I also understood that's a process that I had to go through. And that's just a little bit my my worry wart personality. But it does get it does get better with time. When you're 20 something, you do. Although I've, I see a lot of millennials these days, they don't seem that worried. So I don't know what their secret is. I I didn't have it mastered when I was their age. Let me tell you. 
Oh my gosh. Wow. Thank you both so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. And we love talking with you about the power of saying no. I have no doubt that this will be a very popular episode since so many of us, I think everyone needs some reminders every now and then. And it really all comes back to valuing your time, understanding what's important to you. I really love the, you know, trust your gut feeling advice and, you know, pause before you say yes. I These are great reminders even for me <laughs> all the time. So before we wrap up, we'd love to invite you to join us for a special segment. We'd like to ask our guests to share something that they would recommend to others, some like a favorite book or a gadget or a resource. We call it guest favorites. So we wanted to see if you have something you'd like to recommend. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having us. This has been a great conversation and we wish we could even do it longer. But I know we're all all very busy women here. So I've brought the well, one main gadget that I really love, it's called Remarkable. It's a tablet, a note-taking tablet, which basically replaces all paper notebooks. It's erasable and it can do all kinds of nifty things. It's a Norwegian product, which I know Veronica will appreciate. Yeah, it's a very, it. very thin, very lightweight. So as an environmentalist and somebody who really worries about the future of our planet, it's really important to me to have eco-friendly solutions, especially for interpreting. I was going through so so much paper and I do have a tablet, an Android tablet, but I never really liked the bulk of it or bringing it into conferences or the courtroom. And then I saw this in uh, in Norway and I said, well, I need to have Mm -hmm. this. And it is really lightweight. It's designed just for note-taking and it can do a bunch of other things, but it doesn't have the the heaviness of tablets that have a big operating system. And it's really, it's remarkable. It's called remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) And and I keep on using the adjective remarkable, which is silly. And I'm in no way affiliated with them, by the way. But I am responsible for several uh, colleagues and also clients already splurging on this. So I have separate folders for each client. I take client notes when I'm on the phone with them. And no more of these half-filled notebooks where you're looking for the notes that you took with your client. You can export them. You can put them. There's an app. You can have it in your computer. You can convert converted to text. Oh, that's nice. it, it doesn't like my handwriting very much, <laughs> but it, it is, it's revolutionized the way I take notes and no more paper waste. I'm very, very pleased with it. It is electronic. It does have an internet connection. So when I can't take an electronic device into a facility, for example, a prison or jail where they're very finicky about electronics, I have a different note-taking system. It's a note notebook, an erasable notebook called Rocket Book, which is basically, it's almost like a little drawing board that you can erase with water. And by the way, to erase it, you're supposed to just put water on it and ideally a water spray bottle. And I'm using an Avion water bottle that my twin sister bought me in 1997 when she was studying oh in France. <laughs> and I never you wanted to that? use I still have it. I never wanted to use it. You're supposed to spray it on your face and I never wanted to use it because I thought it was so fancy. But now I'm not saying, you know, 20 <laughs> plus years later, I'm going to use it in the car as I'm going into prison. I erase it with my, um, my Avion bottle. <laughs> so that's just a side story that may be interesting or not. But those are my two gadgets that I brought here for that's you. hilarious. <laughs> a little spritz on the face, a little spritz on the notebook. Oh, man. And the Rocket Book is good. Veronica gifted me one uh, a couple of years ago, I think. It's good. Yeah, I have one too. Oh, good. So you're familiar with it. It's very very eco-friendly, isn't it? 
Well, thank you both again for joining us today, Doody and Daggy. And before we go, could you tell us where our colleagues and listeners can learn more about you and find you online? Sure. I'll start with the American side of our business, which is twintranslations.com. And I'm also very active on Twitter. I am at language underscore news, or you can just go on Twitter and, and look for my name. I'm very active there. I'm also on LinkedIn, but I tend to focus more on Twitter. And this is mostly for the German speakers. Uh, the website for the European side of our business is texterei.com, which translates roughly as Textery, or a place where texts are, are made, textery.com, Deutsch underscore Profi on, on Twitter. But that again, that's mostly for German speakers because I tweet mostly I mean, in German. And of course, I'm, we're both on, on LinkedIn. Under our, yes, they're both very active. We look forward to connecting. Thank you for coming. We're really excited that we got to talk to you and laugh with you so much, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> totally fun. We appreciate it so much. Thank you for having us for these amazing questions. And hopefully our colleagues, friends, and listeners will find something interesting here. Because uh, what we really want is for everybody to be successful, to enjoy what they do, to have more time for themselves, and to be happy. And if you say yes to things you don't want to do and then complain to your colleagues, it doesn't do any good, right? So complain effectively to your clients or or say no, and hopefully they'll make us all uh, healthier and happier. And- more well successful. Said. There's our sound bite. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll definitely make sure to add the links to for people to find you online to our show notes. And if you like this episode, we would love it if you shared it with your colleagues and friends and left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This only takes a minute and we have recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. You'll find it in our show notes. Talk to you soon.